What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the DNBR Rams podcast presented, as always, by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Download it today. Use the promo code DNBR when you sign up. All right, y'all. Good to be back after a couple of days. We're going to have somewhat of a random episode today. It's kind of a weird week. CSU men's basketball doesn't have another game until Saturday. Big one coming up against Boise State. We'll talk about that on Friday. But we do have the women's team in action on Thursday night against New Mexico. We'll talk about that one a little bit. But before we do that, though, we are going to rank the 12 Mountain West cities based on whether you would most want to or least want to spend the next decade of your life living there. Former USC star quarterback Matt Liner posed this question on Twitter. I thought it was kind of interesting. I saw Doug Gottlieb actually chime in and say his answers would be uh, Fort Collins or Boise 1A or 1B. I thought it could be a fun topic in what is kind of a quiet week in Ramland, though. Real quick, before we get into that and before we talk about the women's team a little bit, I did just briefly want to talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame, which is the dumbest in all of sports. More specifically, I'm going to talk about my favorite player growing up, Todd Helton, being snubbed by the Hall of Fame. Didn't really think he would get in this year, but I think there's a lot of parallels with him and West Coast college football teams just in terms of his accomplishments are essentially being diminished by East Coast writers that never paid attention to them in the first place. Obviously, I'm biased here, and and I could admit that for sure. Todd Helton was my favorite baseball player growing up, along with Ken Griffey Jr. There was legitimately a 10-year period of my life, though, where to say I was obsessed with Todd Helton, that would be an understatement. Really, if it it wasn't for him, who knows if I would even be the crazy sports-obsessed individual that I am if I ever even would have gotten into this industry in the first place. I don't talk a ton of baseball on this pod just because, obviously, it's CSU-centered for the most part. Clearly, I branch into some other things every now and then with as many pods as I record, but the main center of focus day in and day out is clearly always going to be CSU. I've talked a lot about how my love for CSU spawned from watching CSU under Sonny Lubick when I was younger with my dad. All those memories, late night ESPN games, BVP, Cecil the Diesel, y'all know the deal. But before I really got into college football or even the NFL, certainly the, the NBA or, or NHL, baseball was my first true love. It was always kind of odd. My parents are not big baseball fans at all. My dad didn't play it growing up. Certainly didn't watch it religiously or anything like that. I'm sure a big contributing factor there was that they didn't have a professional team here other than the Bears for a short period for the first 25 years of his life. But baseball was something that I just found by myself, I guess. I'm I'm sure I was influenced by something or someone that I don't remember. Maybe it was my grandma. My grandma has always been a big baseball fan. She used to throw balls to me in the backyard, hit it with a little plastic bat. As young as three or four years old, though, I really became pretty infatuated with baseball and the Colorado Rockies, and the biggest driving force behind that was Todd Helton. He was my hero. He was a rock star to me. And I know I've kind of been all over the place here, but going back to what I said at the beginning, I really do think he's a major part of why I became so obsessed with sports. He just took my fandom to a new level. He is one of the smoothest first basemen that I've ever seen 
Google the hidden ball trick if you haven't seen that video of him. But just the insane scoops that he would make look routine were so impressive. There were a lot of years where the middle infielders for the Rockies would have had a whole lot more throwing errors if it would have been anybody other than 17 starting at first base all those games. He was incredibly reliable. Night in, night out, you knew that he was going to be in that lineup. And especially as I've gotten older, that's become something that I appreciate more and more about athletes. And then obviously the bat. He was one of the best hitters this century. He was one of those guys that was always going to make the the pitchers work for everything. He didn't swing at bad pitches. He used the entire field. was great at using those big old gaps in, in Coors Field. And quite frankly, Coors Field is, is a big part of what hurts his perception nationally. But that's where I get really frustrated as somebody that actually watched him every single night and saw what he did away from Coors Field against some really great pitchers in some really challenging ballparks. One time I heard Clint Hurdle, longtime Rockies manager, former Rockies hitting coach when Helton was coming up, talk about how guys didn't really hit a lot of home runs in San Francisco late at night. The wind gets going, you're by the water, the air is heavy and thick. And because of that, outside of guys like Barry Bonds, there just weren't a lot of long balls in that ballpark, particularly in night games. Helton was a guy that could go yard in San Francisco, even in those 830 night games. I wouldn't say that the ball boomed off of the bat the same way that it did for Bonds or even Larry Walker or Galarraga, Dante Bichette, those type of guys. But he would make such solid contact and his swing was so pure, I just feel like he would just drive the ball and it would feel like it would just keep going. And then all of a sudden you realized he just hit this bomb of, you know, 400 plus feet. For so long, I got to witness this guy's greatness on a night to night basis. And so when these pretentious baseball writers, and there's no group more pretentious than baseball writers, predominantly from the East Coast, scream cores into the sky, but then refuse to recognize what he did away from Denver. It's really frustrating and I get pretty upset about it. Kind of like how I get frustrated with the collective media that, you know, votes on the AP top 25 or some of these awards, all these people based on the East Coast that don't tune in to late night Mountain West games, that don't tune in to even late night Pac-12 games, and then acts like because they didn't watch it, it, it mattered less or something. It's It's just so annoying, and that's why I hate these. I hate the process for all of this stuff, quite honestly. <laughs> I get that there's no perfect way to do it. I just think that it's a shame that guys in in this region of the country and then the West Coast consistently get robbed of accomplishments that they deserve, of awards that they deserve. They just constantly get dismissed because some of these guys on the East Coast have bedtimes and couldn't stay up late enough to to watch them or didn't care enough to go back and, and find out what happened the next day. It's super annoying. It's why we have the shirt with the slogan, no coast bias, when people on the East Coast are not going to recognize the stars in, you know, the Mountain West, the NBA, whatever, you know, Nikola Jokic, Nathan McKinnon, in this case, Todd Helton. We're always going to have their back. That's a big part of what DNVR is all about. And like I said at the beginning, I recognize that I'm biased in this particular instance, but I genuinely believe that I'm qualified to speak on the subject. And frankly, I'm always going to go a little bit harder for a guy that showed as much loyalty to a community as Helton did. I mean, 
Sonny is a legend, not just for the the success that he had on the field, but for the loyalty and the commitment that he showed to Fort Collins. I mean, Helton could have left in free agency, you know, kind of like Sonny could have left for, you know, Miami or whatever, Kansas State. But he always stayed true to CSU, to Fort Collins. Helton could have been a Red Sox. He could have been a St. Louis Cardinal, according to some conversations I've had with Tracy Ringlesby. If he ever were to leave Colorado, St. Louis was really the only one that he gave uh, any real thought to. Makes sense. Great baseball town. Helton, you know, being a a guy from the South, a a cowboy really at his core with his ranching and stuff. I, I don't really see him enjoying living in Boston, New York, even Chicago, as as great as the Cubs are and as great as the history of some of those other teams are. But because he stayed his entire career here, he's probably not going to get the recognition on a national level that he deserves. I still have some hope that he's made enough progress uh, vote-wise in this stupid process to ultimately make the Hall of Fame next year or the year after. For my own sanity, though, I have just kind of come to accept that it's hard to get your due when you're in the mountain time zone. It really is. It takes about two to three times longer to earn the respect that you should be getting in the first place. They'll dismiss you much quicker and they'll forget about you faster. But I don't care what anyone says. I will argue until I'm blue in the face on a couple of subjects. Sonny Lubick's greatness. John Elway's underappreciated talent in a world that increasingly favors statistics more than what we actually witness on the field. And of course, Todd Helton being deserving of being inducted into Cooperstown and being recognized as one of the greatest baseball players of all time. He is one of the greatest baseball players of all time. Cool. And I went a little longer on that than I intended to. I appreciate you guys listening to my ramblings on this, especially since it you know, didn't really have anything to do with CSU. But as a Colorado sports guy, I I just kind of wanted to talk about it. And I do think there are some connections. I I dove into those. Anyways, take your shot at turning buckets into big cash with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. They're my go-to for hoops action. I love same-game parlays. I love live betting. I love the, the fast payout options. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 and get $200 in free bets instantly, win or lose. And if you are looking for an even bigger payout, take a shot at our Friday night favorites. All you have to do is go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt in, place a two-leg pregame Moneyline parlay, and you'll get a 50% profit boost. Only have a couple of games this Friday, but I think I would probably go with the Bucks minus 7.5 over the Pacers, and then the Grizzlies minus 4 over the T-Wolves. I'd consider taking the the Warriors over the Raptors. They've just been so inconsistent. They, they've been a lot better of late, but they still make me a little bit hesitant. So yeah, I think I'd go with Memphis and Milwaukee. Download the app now. Sign up with the code DNVR. New customers bet $5 on the NBA, get $200 in free bets instantly. That code DNVR only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Additionally, when you get hurt, Bacchus and Shanker is here to help. Bacchus and Shanker wins for Colorado families. They have been helping those who are seriously injured in Colorado for more than 25 years. And their services are free until they win money in your case. No upfront fee to speak with them about your case. No fee while they work on your case. And no fee unless they win your case and win money for you. 
Bacchus and Schenker has won over $1 billion for their clients. Now they are serving with more locations than ever, including neighborhood offices in Denver, Aurora, Englewood, and Fort Collins. Bacchus and Schenker has the strength and power to win your case with more than 30 lawyers and 100 staff. Bacchus and Schenker helps with all kinds of injury cases when you weren't at fault, car accidents, motorcycle, rideshare, pedestrians, trucks. They can even help if you're injured at work. Call us at 222-2222 to find out if you have a case for free. Bacchus and Schenker wins. Cool, cool, cool. Let's jump into this fun ranking here. Again, Matt Liner on Twitter posed the question, if you had to pick a city in the Mountain West to spend for the next decade, what would it be? Honestly, it was a lot harder than I expected it to be. But some of the factors that I included were quality of life, cost of living, natural factors. Do you have to deal with things like tornadoes, that type of stuff? And then there is an element of personal preference. There, there has to be when it comes to this type of list, whether it's, you know, do you favor the city versus the suburbs? Are you a mountain guy or an ocean guy? So with that in mind, let's just get right into it here. And starting at number one, I have Fort Collins. I don't know anybody that spent time there significantly that didn't absolutely love it. It's a legitimate college town, so it has that feel. But it also is a place where you can raise a family, where you can live comfortably you know, as, as an adult and not feel out of place, which I do think is not always the case with college towns. There are some great college towns, but you'd feel just kind of weird there if you were living there in your 40s. Some pros... One of the best beer scenes in the country, um, legal marijuana, that's a factor in a lot of cities depending on what your interests are. I'm just throwing some of these stuff out there. Uh, outdoor recreation, hiking, biking, skiing, whatever, you're close to all of it. And when it comes to the cost of living, it's just going to be a lot more affordable than some of these other great spots. I mean, there's some really nice cities, towns, whatever you want to call it, in the Mountain West. But the median home price about 520,000 median monthly rent around 1350 uh, average annual salary around 55k and it has a population that is significant and growing in size by the year but not overwhelming as far as cons go i25 is a bummer for sure it's pretty far from the airport but thanks to e470 if you're willing to pay the toll it's really not that big of a deal uh, winter, just dealing with snow. That's a factor in uh, a lot of Mountain West cities. But even just beyond the snow, the length of winter in Colorado, the wind you can get in Fort Collins coming down from Laramie, that can be rough. But overall, it's just a really special place to live. Cruising around Old Town and seeing the lights sparkle around the holidays or having a beer at a brewery in the summer in the sunshine hiking at Horsetooth, hanging out in the Oval. It's just such a great, great town. And in a state that has become one of the most popular to live in in the U.S., for my money, Fort Collins is the city I would most want to live in in Colorado. You just kind of get the best of everything. You're close enough to the outdoors and small town type feel, but you're only 60 miles north of Denver. Whatever you want to do, you can do it in Fort Collins outside of go to the beach. And that's why I have San Diego at number two. I'm more of a mountain guy than a beach guy, but 
I mean, the the weather, the quality of life in San Diego would just be tremendous. Sunny in like 75 every day of the year. Uh, some of the best Mexican food in the country. A great beer scene as well. They also have legal marijuana. Biggest con is clearly the third highest cost of living in the U.S. That is according to realestate.usnews.com. Uh, the Cali population is absurd. I mean, just the sheer amount of people living there. That's not a comment on the type of people in California or anything like that. Let's not get offended over nothing. But to me, it would be pretty tough to to beat living in San Diego, having a beer on the beach in the sunshine, eating a street taco. Probably have zero dollars in my bank account because it would cost so much to live there. But hey, like I said, the quality of life, I, I really think it would be worth it. All right, moving on. Number three, we've got Boise. It's a neat little town with its own identity. Kind of has a small town feel, but more modernized. Um, A ton of outdoor recreational activities, very similar to Colorado in that sense. But it is somewhat isolated. Idaho in general is hard to get to. Boise is difficult to get to. There's some kind of like extremist groups in rural Idaho that I wouldn't be stoked about living close to. But by far, the biggest con of living in Boise for the next decade would be the proximity of the blue turf. You have to, you have to live in the, the presence of that abomination. I'm being a hater in this instance. I, I completely admit it 100%, but I really do hate the blue turf that much. I, I just can't stand it. All right, and number four, we have got Colorado Springs. It's getting a lot of hype on these U.S. news report, like top 150 places to live. It was actually ranked the second best place to retire in the country, according to that. I mean, the pro, you're in Colorado, so a lot of things we've we've talked about, whether it's just the reasons that people want to live here, legal marijuana, beer, whatever. Um, con, you have a population that's basically twice as much as Fort Collins. And it's kind of an area that has a weird feel. Like there are really nice parts of Colorado Springs. Don't get me wrong. You know, if you're by the Broadmoor or something like that, there's also some not so great parts. And, you know, the the traffic around the, the academy is super frustrating. I-25 going south in that area is, is even worse than, you know, I-25 between Denver and Fort Collins. And while admittedly I've spent significantly less time there than Fort Collins, it just doesn't have the same community feel to me. Like, at least you're living in Colorado, and it's significantly more affordable than Boulder. But it's no FOCO. That is for sure. All right, this is where it gets kind of hard. This is where I thought the list got really challenging, because there's some great cities that I actually haven't included yet, mostly just because it's so expensive. Um, and at five, it's, it's probably the best example of that Honolulu. You're, you're living in paradise and one of the biggest pros you're away from everybody. That's also one of the biggest cons. It's tough for your family to come visit you. It's tough for you to come visit your family. The cost of living is just absurd. It's really expensive. Anytime you want to come to the mainland and I mean, even groceries, that type of stuff. Additionally, you know, I've watched a lot of documentaries that have talked about how, you know, the constant tourism is, is hard on the locals and, and makes it hard to live there. I'd have some some moral guilt in that regard. But outside of that, the cost of living and then the time difference being on such a drastically different part of the day than the rest of the country, 
I mean, what an amazing place to live. At six, I put Las Vegas, though I, I would technically live in Henderson, so I don't know if that's cheating. Really nice area, kind of just outside. Like, you don't want to live around the Strip, I don't think. But Henderson, Nevada, really, really nice. The pros, gambling, unlimited entertainment options, the con. Uh, the cost of living is actually deceptively high, top 25 uh, in terms of most expensive places to live. Uh, crime, you've got to deal with a lot of people that are uh, you know, drunk and, and drunk drivers and just the weirdness that happens in that area. And then the heat. I mean, the the desert in the summer, it's just absurd. 130 degrees in July, like, ugh, it'd be awful. If Vegas was still the only place that you could conveniently legally sports wager, I think it would be higher on this list. That always used to be my favorite element of, of being in Vegas. But now that you can just have it on your phone, especially in a state like Colorado where it's legal, it's kind of taken some of the luster out of that. And while I do think it could be a fun place to live for a couple of years, I'm not sure uh, that I'd want to spend a decade there. And that's why it did not crack um, you know, higher on this list. It comes in at six. Still the top half, I suppose. At seven, I have San Jose. And honestly, I'm ignorant when it comes to San Jose. I've never been there. I've met a lot of people from the area and they all loved it. The, the weather, you know, is, is immaculate. But just being in the heart of Silicon Valley and the fact that, you know, the average house is $1.5 million, I, I just think it's a tough place to want to spend a decade in. If you're in a different level of tax bracket, there's probably an argument that San Jose would be a top two or three city to live in when it comes to Mountain West. Uh, but just as an everyday guy, I think that would be really, really challenging. And that's why it's only at seven for me. At eight, I've got Logan, Utah. Pros, some of the most incredible views that I've ever seen. It's absolutely beautiful out there. You've got great outdoor recreation opportunities. It's a true college town, much like uh, Fort Collins or even Laramie. The university is the center of the universe in Logan. Cons, hard to fit in if you're not, um, you know, LDS. Limited entertainment options, things close early. You've got to stop ordering beer early in the night. They still just have a lot of outdated laws, in my opinion. And as beautiful as Logan is, as gorgeous as Utah as a state is, that's probably the, the biggest factor holding me back. Because I don't need to go to the club or anything like that. I don't need New York. I don't need Chicago. I don't need San Francisco or Los Angeles. But when I'm completely sober and can't order a beer at 8.30 at a Buffalo Wild Wings, an experience that actually happened to me, it's like, all right, this is a, this is a tad silly here. And I'm not even a big drinker. It's not like a big part of my life or anything like that. But it's just kind of funny how much more you want that beer in that instance when all of a sudden you can't have it. So, yeah, I like Utah. I like visiting long term. I don't think it would be a place that uh, I felt like I fit in. So that's that's why it's lower on my list. At number nine, we have got Reno. Pros, gambling, that's fun. Uh, cons, a lot of things about Reno. <laughs> It's basically just a worse version of Vegas that's harder to get to. Honestly, doing this live, I'm going to flip it. I know I just said Reno is 9. I'm going to move Reno to 10, and I'm going to put Albuquerque at 9 because 
Reno does not have the green chili or Mexican food that is available in Albuquerque. I always appreciate that it has kind of a unique culture, a big, you know, Native American presence. I really like that. Uh, some of the cons, there's a lot of crime, a lot of car theft, limited entertainment options. At least in Albuquerque itself, you could do some exploring around the state, go to Santa Fe, you know, look at some of the unique art and some of that type of stuff. But as much as I enjoy going to Albuquerque, and it genuinely is a city that I enjoy going to for a weekend as much as any city in this conference, just for the food and, and culture more than anything, it's definitely in the bottom of, of you know, the cities I would want to spend a decade in. And number 11, we've got Fresno. Pros, it's not Laramie. You've got in and out Weather's going to be solid most of the year. A con cost of living, it's the 11th highest in the country, despite the fact that it's just not that great of a city. I don't, I mean, I don't hate Fresno or anything. I've enjoyed the time I've spent there, but there was not anything to do. No beaches or anything like that, at least not from what I saw. And again, I'm not an expert on Fresno, but really it just comes down to the cost of living and the bang for your buck. Like, does Fresno really feel like it should be a city that's one of the top 15 most expensive to live in? Based on my experiences, certainly not. That airport is absolutely awful. It's really tiny. And there's like two places to eat in the entire spot. And they both just get absolutely slammed. Not a big Fresno guy, if you can tell. Finally, at number 12, we have Laramie. I think there's probably a fair argument that you could would rather live in Laramie than, you know, maybe like Reno or, or Fresno or something like that if the the small town life appeals to you. I do like Laramie as a college town, just kind of that feel, but entertainment wise, nothing to do. The wind howls 365 days a year. The roads are constantly screwed with ice and whiteout conditions. It's just a miserable commute more than half of the year. And I mean, honestly, its biggest selling point is probably lower cost of living and the fact that it's only 60 miles away from Fort Collins. So close, yet it feels so far if you're stuck in old Laredice. Anyways, that's all I have on that. I think I'm actually going to push the women's hoops talk back to tomorrow because I've already gone on now for close to 30 minutes when I did not intend to. That's a... That's a classic dilemma for old JTM. Once I get rambling and, and sidetracked, it can, it can be a process. <laughs> All right, we'll have more Rams content throughout the week. Um, big game coming up for the men's team on Saturday. As I said, the women's team plays New Mexico Thursday night. We'll preview that one a little bit tomorrow. On Friday afternoon, I will be broadcasting the draft podcast with Andre Simone and Jake Schwanitz live from Breckenridge Brewery, longtime sponsor. I'd be great to see you if you can come through, if you're in the Littleton area especially. It's a great spot to have a beer, eat some snacks, get a burger. And then next week, uh, next Wednesday, the plan is to have Jay Norvell back in studio at DNVR to do another show had a ton of fun with him back in August when we did it, and I'm looking forward to catching up with him again. Just really nice to have a coach that's a man of the people. I thought he did a great job on the Ram Nation podcast. Shout out to my guys, Mike and Joel. They always do a stellar job. But it speaks a lot to the type of man that Norvell is, that he's willing to dedicate his time to anybody 
and everybody that supports this program. And I've covered a lot of coaches over the years. I promise you that was not always the case. He's a genuinely good dude in a way that just very few college football coaches are. So I'm really looking forward to having him in studio, catching up. I really appreciate CSU for coordinating that. It's going to be a lot of fun. I will talk about that more in the coming days. Don't worry. I'll, I'll keep bugging you. keep reminding you that it's coming up. But I appreciate all of you. Thank you to everybody that continually supports my work. Thank you for all the kind wishes. I plan on being back in the arena next week, knock on wood. So that should be great. It's been far too long. It's been really frustrating, guys. It's I, I don't even want to get into it because I get worked up. It's it's just been a shitty process. But I'm really grateful for everyone at CSU and you know how flexible they've been with me. And I really appreciate all of you guys for being understanding as well. I think I've more than proven that I'm committed when it comes to CSU coverage over the years. God, I realized the other day I've been around the beat, not in media. I, again, I started as an intern, but I've been around CSU football for close to a decade now, and that that's wild. But this has definitely been one of the weirdest, most frustrating situations that I've been in. So I just appreciate everybody's patience. All right, like I said, we'll be back with more content in the coming days. Much love to all of you. Thank you for listening to my rambling. Go Rams. Peace. Scummy like Martin Scarelli Turn jam into jelly Then drink it like juice But water's the truth So I sip on that too Skinny looking kid With no car keys Like the only thing I drive Is RCR He's got the stash Like Steve Harvey Oh I'm gnarly Like not from